Hi, George Lavender here. Just a reminder that if you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and clicking on the big donate button. And if you haven't done so already, you can also rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks a lot. Here's the show. This week on Making Contact. All prisons use terror. So it's no other way to hold an individual. Oh, well, let's say, let's put it this way. There's no way for a small knot of armed men to hold a huge crowd of armed men. There's no other way besides terror. Fear, you know, uh, threats, uh, terrorism, brutality. The whole thing is, is based on, uh, on fear. On this edition of Making Contact, we present The Struggle Inside, The Murder of George Jackson, a program about the modern anti-prison movement, Black August, first originated in the California prisons to honor fallen freedom fighters George and Jonathan Jackson, Katari Golden, James McLean, and William Christmas. Jonathan was gunned down outside the Marin County Courthouse on August 7, 1970, as he attempted to take hostages in a plan to negotiate the release of his brother George. This action liberated three imprisoned black liberation fighters, James McLean, William Christmas, and Rochelle McGee. Rochelle McGee still imprisoned and is the sole survivor of the Marin County Rebellion. I'm Anita Johnson, your host this week on Making Contact, a program about connecting people, vital ideas, and important information. Now let's listen to the struggle inside the murder of George Jackson. Saturday, August 21st, 1971. Today at about 3 p.m. there was an attempted break from our adjustment center, which is our maximum security facility. George Jackson was killed as he broke and ran outside the adjustment center. Well, I could die tomorrow, but uh, there'll be a two or three hundred people to take my place. This is one black man they're not going to murder and sweep under the rug, unless they murder me too. Today we present The Struggle Inside, The Murder of George Jackson, a program about the origins of the modern anti-prison movement. My name is Jonathan Jackson, Jr. In 1960, at the age of 18, George Jackson was accused of stealing $70 from a gas station near Los Angeles. Though there was evidence of his innocence, his court-appointed lawyer maintained that because Jackson had a record, two instances of petty crime, he should plead guilty in exchange for a light sentence in the county jail. He did, and instead received an indeterminate sentence of one year to life. Jackson spent the next ten years in prison, seven and a half of them in solitary confinement. Instead of succumbing to the dehumanization of prison existence, he transformed himself into the leading theoretician of the prison movement and a brilliant writer. On January 16, 1969, a few days after a prison guard shot and killed three black Soledad inmates, another guard was found beaten to death. Soledad was a real intense place. David Johnson, prison activist and former prisoner. There had been a lot of killings in the hole. Most of the killings had taken place. They were either racial killings, and then there was a couple of instances where guards had, during a, a, a cell extractions, had tear gas and killed inmates. The tension there was real high. The assassinations on the yards of W.L. Nolan, Alvin Miller, and Cleveland Edwards triggered this whole 
upheaval in, in the California penal system. The three, who became known as the Soledad brothers, were brought in chains and shackles to two secret hearings in Salinas County, and so commenced one of the most extensive legal defenses in U.S. history. The Soledad brothers were charged with murder, not because there was any substantial evidence of their guilt, but because they had been identified as black militants by the prison authorities. If convicted, they would face a mandatory death sentence. The Soledad brothers all have his basis and his connection with the Black Panther Party. David Hilliard, Black Panther Party leader. George, who says himself that it was the Black Panther Party more than anything that gave expression to our political prisoners as a voice. Notice had to be served on the Department of Corrections that you just cannot wantonly kill black people without some type of response. Here to Malcolm X's philosophy, there's nothing wrong with self-defense. When those brothers got killed on the yard, the courts ruled that it was justifiable homicide. What alternative do you have as a group? The Soledad Brothers case emerged as a focal point for a growing movement demanding changes within California prisons. It was a time when the American status quo was shaken by black rebellion in more than 100 cities, as well as the mass movement against the Vietnam War. These ideas were developed against the backdrop of progressive revolutions uh, transforming the globe. Angela Davis, prison abolitionist and University of California professor. The struggles of the Vietnamese people, for example. The fact that increasing numbers of countries in Africa were achieving their independence. And today people tend to think about the movements of the 60s as movements that were very separate, nationalists, racially defined, because they're looking at them through the lens of what is generally considered to be identity politics today. But as a matter of fact, the, the black power movement per se was not an exclusive movement. There were people of all racial, ethnic backgrounds involved in that movement. There was a connection with global movements, uh, and there was a connection with uh, the Young Lords, uh, the Brown Berets, uh, the American Indian movement. Uh, we were part of a global revolution. There was no question about uh, the importance of making those connections and building those bridges. The prison was our battleground, our battlefield. David Johnson. It wasn't in isolation with what was taking place outside because as people start to raise their voices about civil rights violations and human rights violations, then brothers inside through civil litigation, through protests, strikes, and stuff like that fought to gain their civil rights and human rights. On August 7, 1970, just a short time after George Jackson was transferred to San Quentin Prison, the Soledad Brothers case was catapulted to the forefront of national news when George's brother, Jonathan, a 17-year-old high school student in Pasadena, led a raid on the Marin County Courthouse with a satchel full of handguns, an assault rifle, and a shotgun hidden under his coat. Educated as a political revolutionary by his brother, Jonathan invaded the court during a hearing for three San Quentin inmates, not including his brother, and handed them weapons. As Jonathan left the courthouse, leading the three prisoners and five hostages, including the judge, 
he demanded that the Soledad brothers be released. Prison guards and other authorities opened fire on the escape van, killing Jonathan Jackson, William Christmas, James McLean, and the judge. Only one black prisoner, Rochelle McGee, survived what has become known as the Marin County Rebellion. Rochelle McGee. This is one of the reasons I fight so hard and fight back and will continue to do so with the belief that I've always had. As long as you fight, nobody know how the fight gonna come out. It's a possibility I might win, but I know if I stop, I cannot win. I also believe that one man, one man can make a difference if he's sincere. Jonathan, George wrote, he was free for a while. I guess that's more than most of us can expect. George Jackson, recorded in San Quentin before his murder. I don't think that uh, it's fair to Jonathan Jackson. I don't think it's fair to William Christmas or to uh, James McLean or Brother McGee. I don't think it's fair at all to uh, try to bury those brothers' examples. And, you know, Jonathan sacrificed his, his life for the cause of freeing his brother and, and all of those who were unjustly imprisoned. There wasn't one thing that could stop those brothers from uh, attaining what uh, they started out to do. I think it was well thought out. The mistake was in uh, underestimating the viciousness of uh, the prison guards. David Hilliard. Jonathan Jackson uh, made an attempt to free George and, uh, and other political prisoners certainly a, a revolutionary action. Jonathan and uh, the judge and William Christmas and James McLean were all killed in that event. And Rochelle McGee, who still lingers in prison, was also um, a part of that attempt to, uh, to free those brothers from prison. Rochelle McGee, prison activist and jailhouse lawyer, still in prison for his political resistance. Slavery is something that is being practiced by the system under the color of law. Slavery 400 years ago, slavery today. It's the same, but with a new name. They're making millions and millions of dollars off of enslaving blacks, poor whites, and others daily. Peoples who don't even know that they are being railroaded. George Jackson. The only way the oppressor can maintain his position is by fostering, nurturing, building contempt for the oppressed. The brutality really leads to more resistance, and that's what we're working for, revolution. The institutions uh, that buttress the, the establishment uh, yeah, have to be assaulted. Political incarceration removes threats to the political and economic hegemony of the United States. Even though in 1959, George Jackson initially went to prison as an everyday lawbreaker with a one-year-to-life sentence, it was his political consciousness that kept him incarcerated for 11 years. One of the important achievements of the movement during that period was to do what George Jackson called the transformation of a criminal consciousness into a political consciousness. Angela Davis. 
I mean, this was precisely what he took on. And no one can deny that um, there were many people then, as now, committing antisocial acts against uh, members of their communities, members of other communities. So that when you leave these institutions and go back to your communities, you can be an asset to your community and not a predator. David Johnson. And a lot of brothers embrace that concept. He did a lot of studying. Luis Bato Talamantes, prison activist and former prisoner. And he was persistent in talking to me and other Chicano brothers who had no real interest nor inclination to even be political. Uh, we were still kind of like inclined to be criminal. For the first four years, I read in economics, pure economics. George Jackson. The second four years, I read in exclusively in uh, military things, you know, guerrilla warfare. Mao Zedong. I read Nkrumah's stuff. I read uh, Jacques, Vos Nguyen Jacques, People's Army, People's War. I went through the whole gambit, the whole thing, the whole line. George Jackson always referring to the uh, Vietnamese uh, people's soldiers, uh, the Viet Cong as comrades. Bato Talamantes. And George Jackson was the one that would, with a nice smile, George Jackson really kind of had a big smile. And he would kind of like get a twinkle in his eye and he would kind of lead you down this thing going uh, and show you in very simple, kind of like an educational way so that you didn't feel like he was talking over you, putting you down. He would show you step by step how uh, your mind got manipulated into, into rooting for the wrong side, see? You are listening to The Struggle Inside, The Murder of George Jackson, a program about the modern anti-prison movement on Making Contact. To find out more about this week's show, check out our website at radioproject.org. Sign up for our podcast or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Now back to The Struggle Inside, The Murder of George Jackson. Many of us were going into prisons during those days, especially from 1969 through the latter 70s, where some 1,800 arrests. Fred Hampton's murdered in Chicago. Mark Clark is murdered. The um, eight or nine other Panthers are taken to to jails and, and wounded. The whole New York chapter was under attack, and everybody was in prison. The wave of repression and war against our Black Panther Party chapter in Los Angeles, where there was this four-hour gun battle, uh, the um, police shootout with myself and Cleaver, where little Bobby Hutton was killed April 6, 1968. So it was truly a war against our black communities. Just like in the South, the Deacons for Defense had to be formed to protect themselves from not only the police, but the attacks of the clans as black people, you know, were in quest of securing their, their civil rights. So the same thing occurred here in the prison system. It culminated into a militant wing of, of the prison movement. And their task and responsibility was to protect their rights and lives of black prisoners at large. We're just beginning, beginning to learn, beginning to uh, relate to each other, learn how to function together. George Jackson. We are aware of the fact that uh, the opposition uses the kill off the head principle 
kill a body. And uh, we've set up safeguards against that sort of thing. Well, I could die tomorrow, but uh, there'll be a two or three hundred people to take my place. David Hilliard. George is certainly a very dangerous man and was um, targeted for silencing because George is beginning to um, remold and to create this new man that goes into prison as a criminal, but now coming out uh, as a, uh, a revolutionary activist. A year and two weeks after the revolutionary takeover in Marin, prison guards at San Quentin ruthlessly murdered George Jackson. Saturday, August 21st, 1971. Today at about 3 p.m. there was an attempted break from our adjustment center, which is our maximum security facility. Apparently a gun was smuggled in and uh, was in the possession of George Jackson. Uh, George Jackson was killed as he broke and ran outside the adjustment center. We were allowed out by the fact that the control box had been opened. Bato Talamantes. And uh, we all came out of our cells questioning what was going on. And at that time, we realized that the first floor tier of the adjustment center had, in fact, been seized by some revolutionary prisoners, one of them, George Jackson. That the skeleton crew that had worked on that Saturday, I think, consisted of four officers had been taken hostage and uh, tied up and laid on the floor. And so it was pretty amazing in that very short period of time, which I call the half-hour revolution, when in fact prisoners did manage to overcome their captors and took over the cell block and for a few minutes tasted freedom. I've been hungry too long, I've gotten angry too often, I've been lied to and insulted too many times. They pushed me over the line, missing there can be no retreat. If I leave here alive, I'll leave nothing behind. They'll never count me among the broken men. Saturday, his life was cut short when he exited the adjustment center door, bolted past the four post at San Quentin, which is your central control for the guards, and was uh, sighted on and shot and killed by a sharpshooter guard, and he bled to death on the black asphalt. Mr. Jackson, you've lost two sons uh, under violent circumstances. That's what the guard said to me last night. We killed one of your sons last year. We got another one this year. You pretty soon won't have any sons left and laugh. I'm haunted by the face of his mother because it might be my mother. And I've been haunted by the face of Jonathan because it could have been my brother. James Baldwin, writer and social activist speaking in Paris in 1971. I want Ronald Reagan to write a letter to me and to Georgia Jackson, telling me exactly what happened in that prison and how he knows. I want Nixon to confirm it, to tell me why we are still in prison and at their mercy. As long as that is so, the entire Western world is doomed. What is your reaction to yesterday's tragedy? I think it's the same thing that goes on in the prisons day in and day out. Georgia Jackson, George and Jonathan's mother, speaking at San Quentin, August 1971. 
It's not new. It just happened to be my son this time instead of some other black woman's son or some other white woman's son that they want to kill. Do you blame anybody for what happened to your yes, son yesterday? Yes, I blame the prison. I blame the people who run the prison. I blame the governor, the state, and the United States government. I blame them all because they have the power to change these things and don't want to. Can't you understand? They don't want to change them. James Baldwin. Beneath the political implications of this bloody event, there's also an anguish which has endured in my country for nearly 400 years. I myself have lived through too many murders and too many assassinations to believe a word that Nixon or Reagan or any of the other American authorities say. For me, there's been Medgar Edwards, who was murdered in Mississippi, and Malcolm X, who was murdered in New York, and Martin, who was murdered in Memphis. I know very well what it is like to be a black man in America. I know very well that the intention of the American Republic was to keep black people slaves forever. And I know that now that black people have discovered in their own minds, in their own hearts, that they are not what they are told they were, that America's on the verge of panic, on the verge of civil war. They set up his murder just like they do everybody else that speaks out against them. And they'll probably do me the same way because I am going to speak every chance I get. These people have the power to do right. Why don't they do right? Imagine when the American public is going to wake up to the fact that the people who own and run this country don't want to do right. They know they have everybody in this country afraid of them. People don't love this country so much, they're afraid of what their own country will do to them. A young man by the name of George Jackson in San Quentin wrote this letter to his mother three days before he was murdered. Harry Belafonte, performer and human rights activist. It was on the occasion of her birthday. Dear Mama, I hope this year's birthday finds you well. I would like to be able to give you things and take you places, but I've been unfortunate and slow learning. But I've learned well. Perhaps next year, I'll be able to give you a villa in Tanzania. On Saturday, August 21st, 1971, Soledad brother George Lester Jackson was shot to death by guards in the prison yard at San Quentin. If they kill me, Mama, he had written home in a letter, I'll just be dead, but I'll never kiss their feet. That Saturday afternoon, Georgia Jackson had rushed to San Quentin to learn of her son's fate. A guard at the gate said, last year we killed one of your sons and, and today we killed another. If you aren't careful, you'll have no sons left. Georgia Jackson said to the guard, I have sons throughout the world wherever people are fighting for freedom. He was very charismatic. People who had the opportunity to meet him in, in prison were really drawn to him because of his passion, because of his uh, dedication and his determination to work through these questions of revolution. I had met George when I was like 17. 
in the segregation unit at Tracy. Sundiata Tate. And he always struck me as this incredible, beautiful person, uh, intellectual giant, but he didn't speak with intellectual words. He spoke in a way that the average person had no problems understanding him. I can even recall when he organized a strike and he got everyone to refuse to eat and throw their trays out on the tier. And he got black brothers to do that, Hispanic brothers to do that, and a few white brothers that was there. He got all of them to participate in this. One of the warrens, uh, system warren or something, was supposed to be making an appearance and to show out this pleasure, all of us collectively, when they brought our food, threw it out on the tear. What was going on, we was down with it, and we protested against those conditions, the food that we was given, the lack of sunshine. I just remember him organizing it. The prison had failed to contain uh, George's enthusiasm and his dedication and his, um, his joy, his happiness. Not very many people had the opportunity to know him as a human being. And uh, 30 years later, it's, he still kind of like inspires me because I can still see him smiling and giving me encouragement even when he himself was facing the death penalty. It is imperative that George's message continue to be heard, both by the righteously angry but unchanneled youth and the more cynical, sometimes weary veterans of the struggle. The message must be carried farther than where George bravely left it in August 1971. Young people should be aware of the legacy of people like George Jackson, without whom we would not be able to do the kind of political work. We wouldn't have the conceptual apparatus that we have now in terms of trying to understand the centrality of the prison in relation to the economy and in relation to the social landscape in general. A formation grew out of that, you know, in support of George, in support of Jonathan, and, you know, and it still exists. David Johnson. They're still paying that price. They're languishing in these institutions. Some have died. And if something is not done, it would be criminal for no voices to be raised against the brutality, the isolation, the sensory deprivation that takes place, and the flagrant violation of their human rights. Settle your quarrels. Come together. Understand the reality of our situation. Understand that fascism is already here. That people are dying who could be saved. That generations more will die or live poor, butchered half-lives if you fail to act. Do what must be done. Discover your humanity and your love in revolution. Pass on the torch. Join us. Give up your life for the people. George Jackson. You have been listening to The Struggle Within, The Murder of George Jackson. My name is Jonathan Jackson, Jr. Both George Jackson and my father left me a great deal. An unmistakable name. A pride that comes from a history of uncompromising resistance. 
and a commitment to identify and fight injustice at every turn. That'll do it for this edition of Making Contact. Special thanks to Freedom Archives for producing The Struggle Inside, the murder of George Jackson. To keep this conversation going about the anti-prison movement or Black August, share this episode with friends and talk about it. Just visit our webpage where you can download this episode and past shows. You can also subscribe to our podcast or follow us on Twitter at radioproject.org. Lisa Rutman is our executive director. Producers include Anita Johnson, Marie Chet, Monica Lopez, and R.J. Lozada. Audience engagement and web director, Sabine Blazin. Development associate, Mira Tykolsker. And I'm Anita Johnson. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. Making Contact.